Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information about our ministries, head to calvarystgeorges.org. One of my favorite comedies uh, from the 90s uh, stars Bill Murray uh, called Groundhog's Day. Uh, and this movie's amazing. This is where uh, Bill Murray plays a, um, a guy by the name of Phil Connor, who is a snobby, stuck-up Pittsburgh weatherman, which is funny in and of itself. And, um, and he is sent to the town of Puxatawney, Pennsylvania on February 1st to annually cover the Groundhog Day event. And everybody's predicting a major, major blizzard coming in, and he's writing everybody off as rednecks and all of this, and he's rude, he's totally crude, and all of the other characteristics that make really, really funny comedy and made Bill Murray Bill Murray. Uh, But he basically makes it clear that he hates this part of his job and he can't wait to get out of Puxatawney. Well, as we all know the story, this huge blizzard does come in and Bill Murray, uh, Phil Connor, wakes up to find himself once again on February 1st. And he finds himself repeating the same day over and over and over again. And the more he repeats it, the ruder and cruder he becomes. You know, he's mean to people. And then he gets kind of tired of that and he begins to seduce using the days. He knows what's going on in the days. So he uses those events to seduce women. And then he eventually, several times, tries to, he commits suicide only to wake up on February 1st again. Well... All of this repeats itself over and over and over until one thing breaks the cycle. One thing breaks the cycle, and that's what I'm going to talk about today. Tragedy, disaster, wars, rumors of wars is nothing new to the human experience. I was discussing this with Camel earlier this week. We tend to think that we're on this kind of cycle of improvement and we're all basically getting better and society's getting better and then bang, something like the Ukraine reminds us that we're not getting better. Situations like war, the Ukraine, and now rumors of war in other parts of the world, you know, uh, Yemen, uh, we bombed the snot out of Somalia this week, you know, uh, there's rumors of war in the Pacific, um, and all of these things, and you know, uh, you know, we hear about how terrible stuff is. And it seems despite our naive notions of things getting better, on one level, we as human race, We seem to be in a perpetual groundhog day of repeating sin and death. So it's not surprising, and this isn't a new story, it's not surprising that the people wanted to know, and maybe you want to know, what Jesus has to say about tragedy and disaster. What should be our response? Maybe Jesus has a solution to this whole thing. And he does. And his words break the cycle. In our gospel reading, people were talking about the brutal murders 
of these Galileans. Now, Galilee was a hotbed. It was in northern Israel, and it was a hotbed of Jewish radicalism. They had a new Messiah once every other week. And they were huge in rebellion against the Romans. The Galileans were seen as holy warriors. And their slogan was, we don't need a ride, we need more ammunition. It's amazing how things just kind of repeat themselves. And Pilate, he got a hold of them. And you see, what, the, what Rome did was is that they took people and they made examples of them. And so he brutally murders them. And then he takes their blood and he mixes it with the blood of a pagan sacrifice. This is about as low and disrespectful as a thing you could do to a Jewish man. And Jesus knows what the crowd is thinking. And Jesus knows what you're all thinking as you saw missiles go through a maternity ward. Where is God in all of that? Why is God allowing this despot to run wild? Now underneath that question and those questions, and they take the shape of in a thousand different ways, is a misunderstanding about God and how he works. You see, the misunderstanding is making the direct connection between God's favor towards you and your present circumstances. The mistake is making a direct correlation between sin and your suffering. That's Aristotelian thinking. It's not biblical thinking. And while it's natural to us, that kind of thinking about how God operates is actually wrong. So Jesus, like any good rabbi, he understands their questions that are running in their head, where's God in all of this, and he poses a question to their misunderstanding. He says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the others because they suffered this way? And his answer, no followed by, unless you repent, you also will perish. <sighs> Let me bring it closer to home. Jesus, what about the Ukrainian man who lost his entire family trying to escape in a missile strike Is that a sign of God's disapproval? Jesus, what about the Russian whose grandmother is Ukrainian, doesn't really like Putin at all, wasn't for the invasion, and now his entire life savings because of brutal sanctions is worth 35 cents? Is that a sign of God's disapproval? No. But unless you repent, you also will perish. Do you feel how unnerving that is? How offensive that is? I mean, I love, Janet, when you were reading the gospel right there, you kind of snickered at that point. You know, I mean, it, it hit. Jesus then moves the discussion from a political tragedy to a natural disaster. There was a tower in Siloam that toppled over and killed 18 people. 
Now, those Galileans, they may have been asking for it. You know what I mean? If they would have just gotten in line and chilled out, everything would have been all right. But Siloam, that's a natural disaster. Those folks were the victims of bad engineering. Were they worse than all those other folks? Was that a sign of God's disapproval? Let me ask you. Five people were killed and 90 were severely injured in Fukushima, Japan this week because of a 7.5 earthquake. Again, are they any worse? Is that a demonstration of God's lack of favor towards them? Jesus would say, no, but unless you repent, you will perish likewise. I don't know, I'm I'm offended. This is my first point. What is our response to tragedies when they're personal? What is our response when it seems like bad things have just fallen on us and evil has the complete and total upper hand? What is the Christian response? And it's interesting because all the other news outlets, the Russian news outlets, the Chinese news outlets, they're saying the same thing about us. What is it? What is the Christian response to all of this? Well, according to Jesus, you repent. Now, this response from Jesus is incredibly unnerving, as I've said. Jesus' answer is actually profoundly offensive. And it's offensive to all of us stuck in this Puxatani Groundhog Day cycle of sin and death. This cycle of self-justification and self-righteousness because it attacks the core of our self-righteousness and that somehow we are in charge and God should be working for us. And why isn't he just doing something? I remember one time I was talking to a person who... um, had done something at the office, their office, that had turned the entire office against them. People were resigning left and right. And I was sitting down with this particular person and I was listening to the story and at the end of the story I said, why don't you just say you're sorry? To which he responded, because I've done nothing wrong. Whenever bad stuff confessions. Whenever bad stuff befalls me, my first response is usually to think about who I can blame. Some form of justification. Why am I the one suffering? I did everything right. I got my stuff done. Why is this happening to me? I mean, Jesus, this call to repentance seems to be an attack on my personal positivity and my well-being. Yet it's the key to breaking the cycle. The cycle of Puxahani, the cycle of Groundhog Day, the cycle that we're all in called sin and death. 
In Groundhog Day, the love interest of the movie, Rita, played by Andy McDowell, who in the 90s I had a huge crush on, she eventually believes Phil as he calls out every moment of the day perfectly. She believes that Phil is caught in this loop and she gives him the insight to break the cycle. She says, change your mind about the situation. See it as a blessing. And this begins to pull Phil out of himself. This begins to pull Phil out of himself and focus on others and begin to use the knowledge of the loop as an instrument of love for others to make a difference. He learns how to play the piano. He learns how to make ice sculptures. He begins to use the knowledge of the day in order to benefit these people he so despised. He shifts the focus from self to the other which ultimately breaks the cycle, waking up on February 2nd with Rita in his arms and the desire to move and settle in Puxtahani. That's what repent means, change of mind. That's what repent means in the Greek, to turn around. That's what it means to repent is to have what some would call in therapy a moment of clarity, a moment of confession, that I am a human, I'm not God, and therefore I am not in control. You see, Jesus' call to repentance is deep and it's profound and it breaks the cycle even for about 30 seconds because when tragedy does strike, it enables us to forget the question, does God love me or not? Forget whose fault it is. Is it God's? Is it mine? Is it someone else's? Repentance. What Jesus is actually getting at here when he talks about repent, unless you also perish, is that the worst thing that could possibly happen in this life is like Phil Connors, die focused on the self. In a Christian sense, to die looking to ourselves instead of Christ, our beloved the worst thing that can happen is to believe that we can justify ourselves instead of being justified by God and Christ alone. Clinging to my dream that I did nothing wrong. This is my second point. In the midst of tragedy and disaster, Jesus is called to repent Jesus' call to repent is the enabling word that breaks the groundhog cycle of looking at self. Breaks the groundhog cycle of self-justification. Breaks the groundhog cycle of us thinking we're even gods. 
Why does God allow such evil? Why did this thing happen to me? These sorts of questions, and they take, as I said, a thousand different forms, and I've asked about 958 of those forms. They illustrate that we ultimately are not trusting God. I once heard it said, when you demand to see the blueprints, it means you no longer trust the builder. To repent is to, in the midst of tragedy and disaster, give your life over once again to the care of God. And in giving your life over to the care of God, you become the fig tree in the parable where the gracious, gracious and loving gardener comes and tills the roots and erudites the whole thing, waters it, and is patient with you as St. Peter says, do not consider God as slow, some consider slow, do not consider God slow as some consider slowness, but he is patient with mankind, wishing that no one would perish. God never promises to make sense of things in this age, and that's why don't, don't buy into theodicies. That's us playing God. But what God does promise you in his son Jesus Christ is to reconcile all things in the good dark death of him on the cross. That's what it means in Romans 8 where St. Paul says, we know that in everything God works for good with those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't mean that everything's good. It's not good when a hero dies. It's not good when nations rise against nations. It's not good when terrorists hijack planes and fly them into towers. It's not good when we get cancer. It's not good when personal tragedies strike. They're all signs of actually a creation groaning under the weight of sin and caught in that loop. But this, this is my third point. As Christians, in the midst of it all, we repent. This is what Luther said, our entire lives are one of repentance. And we turn our eyes upon Jesus because we know that God works for good through the death and resurrection of his son. That's where faith comes in. And faith doesn't say, gosh, that's good. Rather, faith says, God will work good and has already worked good in Jesus. In spite of what I see or what I feel, And so hence, even in the midst of tragedies and disasters, in the midst of the Groundhog Day cycle, we know that it's been broken. You may not see it, but we know that it's been broken. And the words of the psalmist become ours. Whom have I in heaven but you? When tragedy hits, we say with the psalmist, and besides you, I desire nothing on earth. And for a brief moment with the psalmist, we say, my flesh and my heart fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And in the name of Jesus, he is your portion immensely. And in the name of Jesus, the cycle has been broken. So repent. The kingdom of heaven is already yours. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of our parish, we would really appreciate it. You can make a one-time or recurring gift by going to calvarystgeorges.org slash give. Thank you for your support.